This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. The heart of my family vanished on the yacht Revenock on January 2nd, 1958, a fleeting event with a trajectory of upheaval that continues decades later. Readers of the New York Times to the Fresno Bee followed its unfolding for months. That January, my family's disappearance was featured in Sports Illustrated as Nature Keeps a Grim Date at Sea. This is GP Gottlieb host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Sarah Conover, author of Set Adrift, a Mystery and a Memoir. 18-month-old Sarah and her nearly three-year-old sister, Aileen, were orphaned after the Revenock, which is Conover spelled backwards, went down during a sudden storm in what's been called the Bermuda Triangle. Sarah's parents and grandparents, along with a family friend, perished, and no trace of the boat was ever found. Sarah's father had sailed for Dartmouth and once qualified for the Olympic trials. Her grandfather published Yachting Magazine and was rated among the top dozen ocean racing yachtsmen of his time. The loss was astounding. Sarah didn't learn that she'd been orphaned until she was older, but her maternal grandmother spent years trying to get custody of the two little girls. And Sarah struggled with depression, confusion, and a sense that something was missing all her life. In writing this hauntingly beautiful memoir, Sarah Conover explores the meaning of family, belonging, spiritual striving, and storytelling. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Elite. So you begin the story of how the Revenant went down But the trip from Key West to Miami was only 110 miles, and they'd done it before, your parents and grandparents. What happened this time? Well, actually, the um, as you know, the the book is a hybrid memoir, so I have um, text from the Coast Guard, from the Weather Service, from national newspapers and magazines that covered it. And one of the things I discovered was 
that um, most all the media outlets uh, misrepresented it. My my grandfather was going to sail from Key West to Miami, but actually the last person he spoke to when he left the dock in Key West, he said he was going to go via to the Bahamas first and then over back over to Miami. So um, what happened is about... Uh, late the afternoon, they the weather report said, you know, fair breezes and just a nice wind. And about 2.30 in the afternoon, um, everything changed almost, almost immediately. And uh, winds moved to 70 knots per hour. Waves became 40 feet high. Um, many boats foundered and... Uh, the, the Coast Guard was flooded with distress signals. The the, the uh, Weather Bureau had not predicted that at all. And only about 30 minutes beforehand had raised uh, gale warnings. So nobody was expecting this at all. It was considered one of the uh, worst unpredicted storms in their history. And uh, my, grand, my grandfather, my parents, and one other... Uh, crew member were caught in that storm. And I think they had probably almost reached the Bahamas, um, but they were caught. And about um, 19 hours after the storms uh, began, another boat that was foundered, a big 50-foot shrimp boat um, whose engine was cut um, saw my parents and grandparents' boat drifting by very, very quickly with five people hanging off the what's called drogues, the lines behind it, just waving frantically, hoping to be rescued. And the shrimp boat didn't, their motor had cut out. They couldn't rescue them. So there we go. And my uh, family's boat was almost, at that point, almost capsized. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that you include um coast guard warnings and all the information that was posted at the time and after you include one notice that was posted in 1999 that says quote the us board of geographic names does not recognize the bermuda triangle as an official name and does not maintain an official file on the area but end quote but there have been a lot of boats ships and aircraft lost there what's up with that whole thing yeah, you know, people love to uh, attribute uh, supernatural forces there. But it is, interestingly, one of the two places in uh, right, right in that area. And also there's a, a, a similar one in Japan, same coordinates, but just the opposite, where true north is, tr- where north is true north. There's no declination. So it throws everybody's compasses off. And, but also in this side, I don't know about the Japanese side, but this side also, you have the Gulf Stream, which is moving northward at about six knots per hour, which is not small. And then this storm blew in from the northeast, totally against those against the Gulf Stream, which makes these sharp waves. And by the time this surf, the shrimp boat saw my my family's boat, the waves were 45 feet high and winds of 70 mile an hour. I mean, yeah, you know, it's not a mystery that they went down. There might have been a mechanical failure on the centerboard. We don't know. There is some, that is one reason that I'm kind of interested to see if uh, the boat can be found. Mm 
Right. Let's talk about that before we say goodbye. You write that five days after the storm slammed Miami's coast, one of the most intensive sea searches in American history was initiated, and it included the Cuban Navy. Can you explain why they failed to find anything of your family's boat except for the dinghy? Well, the dinghy washed ashore a number of days later on the on the about eighty miles north of Miami on Jupiter Beach, and that could have it it was clearly it got washed off the boat pretty by some very strong force like a wave, and I think it got carried north. Um, your question is why they didn't find anything else? Yeah, well, we don't know. I I think that if they're when the surf saw them, the boat was almost capsized. And the, um, you know, the area, they just had no idea where to look because you have these huge forces, the, the wind coming from the Northeast, but you have the Gulf Stream going North. You have people that mis- made the mistake of thinking he was going straight to Miami. The search was 24,000 square miles. That is truly a needle in a haystack. Um, one of the things I've been able to do is narrow it down a little bit. Um, because of the sighting by the shrimp boat. Wow. So your father's family made sure to take you and your sister under their wing, and you lived with your dad's sister, Fran, and her husband, Dick. You were pretty young when you learned about what happened to your biological parents. Can you talk about that? Yeah. um, I was 18 months old. My sister was uh, about the, she was 13 months older than me. And, um, so what happened was when the boat didn't, when it looked like they're, you know, the, they couldn't find them. And I think the people, the the people who were looking for them, the family that was left behind, um, just assumed that maybe they'd find them on a tropical island. You know, there's so many little coves in the Bahamas and all these places. And in the meantime, my maternal grandmother flew um, from Fresno to New York right away, thinking that she was just going to take us. And um, the Conover family was not particularly fond of her. She was a, an amazing artist, but also perhaps a little uh, a little too eccentric. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, immediately there was a, uh, a, a custody battle for us. And um, the fact that my grandmother said she wanted a, a a governess to raise us and she would take us back, um, you know, to Fresno and the other family, Fran, um, said, no, she would be the person raising us herself. And that, I think, swayed the judge to give custody, major, major custody to uh, the Gagneys. But we were required legally to be with my grandmother every other weekend and she took full advantage of that to fill us with vitriol about the family that got majority custody. Hmm. Um, why did your sister Aileen have to protect herself in ways you never did? And can you talk about your relationship with her? So in terms of protecting herself, tell me what. That's being... a quote from the book that she had to protect herself in ways you never did. Well, yeah, I think what happened, my guess, is that um, since she was older, she kind of saw what was going on more clearly than I did. She saw that my grandmother was telling us awful things about the family of majority custody. I was pretty darn little. 
And um, so she distrusted my grandmother pretty early on and bonded more to the Gagney family. My grandmother, who spoiled us rotten every other weekend, but also gave us painting lessons and also taught me about beauty, gave me all the attention that the other family couldn't. And I was seduced. I was just seduced. I, you know, I was desperate for attention and she was able to give it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Fran and Dick were already raising their two kids, Rick and Carolyn, when you and your sister joined the family. What was your relationship with the two of them? Yeah, and I didn't answer the question about my relationship with Eileen either. Um, yeah, so we had, we Eileen and I had um, really decades of, it, it was tough. It was tough. I think it's sort of like, um, you know, we were both looking for something to trust. And when I kind of sided, not sided, I was too young to side with anyone. I just, you know, was seduced by my grandmother and, and attached that way. And she didn't, um, you know, we, we, it, it put a rift between us that was pretty irreparable. Um, and, you know, competition, my grandmother would say things, you know, that were very unkind to her and favored me. And, you know, it wasn't till later that I realized how cruel that was. And um, so, so it's taken until really the last maybe five years. So my sister and I really could come together. And I think this book has been helpful. I think it's been helpful for me with all my siblings to interview them all and really sort of to find out how they were affected by the tragedy and what it was like for them. Because of course, you know, it's, it's just easy to know your own story, but until you interview other people, there are many ways to see a story. My relationship with um, uh, Fran and Dick's kids, my, um, was was different. One was eight years older than me. Carolyn was eight years older. Ricky was 10 years older. And um, they, you know, we, I don't, I know that what happened was, you know, we in a certain sense came in right in this tragedy. <clears throat> Fran had lost her brother and her hero, her mother, and could barely cope. And, you know, Carolyn all of a sudden had to, uh, you know, change diapers on, on little kids. And and um, Rick just sort of fled the whole scene to another family that could look after him a little, you know, where he could sort of be, get the attention he needed. How today, after, you know, they've all probably read the book, have they? And if so... Uh, every, everybody but my brother. <laughs> oh, so, mm. um, so did you learn anything new after they read the book? Some funny things. Um, well, you know, when I interviewed, not after they read the book, I was just, I was biting my nails. How will they feel about this? But I really, you know, because there's there was some hard stuff between us sisters, especially when Fran was in decline, how that kind of happens when you have a parent that's elderly and dying. Everybody has a different idea. And, you know, Fran followed me around she moved where I moved and uh that was hard for them you know then so um let's see what was what was your other question <laughs> sorry just what your relationship was like with the two of them even now what's your relationship 
Well, my, uh, with Carolyn, it's, it's fine. And, and she was, she said to me for the first time the other day, and she read it about a year ago. She said, you said some of the nicest things about me, which I was really glad to see that she thought that, you know, I was been waiting for that. Eileen, you know, and there were some, I had to take some scenes out, you know, um, I think it's pretty important that uh, you don't grind any axes, you know, axes in a memoir, that you do your therapy elsewhere. And so I was able to couch the difficulties in a way where I was just as responsible as they were, maybe even more so. I loved the part. Uh, I love the parts of your book when you talked about your relationships. Okay, so moving on. What happened to your grandmother's gold leaf foot of sculpture? Did you inherit it? No, darn it. Her son, no, her son did. He and her, she had, oh my goodness, she was an interior decorated decorator for the Raisin Kings of Fresno for many years and also in New York City. And uh, oh my goodness, she had a house full of museum quality antiques. And her son um, really kind of took care of her when she got Alzheimer's, lived near her. And then so he got most of that stuff and then he got Alzheimer's and I don't know where almost any of it is anymore. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's sure. I know that your degree is in world religions, that you've written a number of children's books about different religions. You also mentioned several religious denominations in the family. Uh, somebody's parents were Christian science. Uh, you were raised Presbyterian. There were Catholics, etc. When did you find the path that fits you best? Well, I just, uh, you know, I looked around. I grew up in uh, the Presbyterian church, right, with Fran. Um, and, um, you know, my friend dubs them God's frozen people. Nobody, you know, nobody would talk about the tragedy except for my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who was just about wrecked and would only talk about the tragedy. And, um, she, so on, on the one hand, she uh, was a painter and a, a beautiful artist and says, I spell my God with two O's. And so she gave me sort of a place of beauty to understand the world and appreciate nature. On the other side, I could see that nobody was talking, you know, nobody from any side was really telling the truth. Nobody could, it seemed like it had wrecked so many people on aunts and uncles that became alcoholics after this tragedy. And I flew out of my uh, home in New York when I was 17, a seeker. And, um, you know, went to Nepal, went to, um, and before that I would, I, I would uh, go to church with my um, Jewish friends because it just felt like more real. You, there's sorrow in, in the, in the lamentation and the, um, and there wasn't any of that in the Presbyterian church. And, um, and then I became a religious studies major and um, also a martial artist, which has a sort of a pseudo 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 spirituality to it. Um, I, I taught Aikido and became a, a second degree black belt. And, um, but you know, it was still too martial and, uh, then when we had children, it was, well, what do we do now? We want more than Easter bunny trails and Santa Claus and my husband's philosophy major. I was a religious studies major. And so we were in the Bay Area and you could just, you could sample a lot of different things. 
And um, I went down the street from where we live, about five miles away, was really one of the first large um, Buddhist centers for Westerners in the country, Spirit Rock, with Jack Cornfield, a prolific author and a really great storyteller. And um, I went there one night, Doug took the kids, and I came back and I said, I found what we've been looking for. Um, so that was the path that's fit, fit me and for him. And, um, yeah, and we tried to raise our, our children in that context. It was a little hard in Eastern Washington where there were more churches than you could shake a stick at. We had some of our, my son's friends would tell him he was going to go to hell and Satan was after him. And, uh, and they chant on the bus, Buddha's a big fat Chinese guy, all, all this thing, all this kind of thing. Um, but he actually ended up being a, a Buddhist monk. He is. And uh, my daughter wants nothing to do with any religion at this point, um, which, you know, um, it's but it's a major Buddhism is a major part of my husband and my life and obviously my son's life. And, uh, you know, when we were, I tried to in, imbue the, both kids as they were growing up with with certain of the nice parts. I mean, the easy parts of Buddhism, like a little bit of silent dinner and, um, you know, a little bit of loving kindness meditation at night. And, you know, my daughter, you know, when she became an early teen, she just said, you know, I think I'm adopted. You know, you guys, yeah. I'm wow. not deep. I'm just, I'm not deep. Okay. <laughs> So it was, yeah. Anyway, yep. everybody found their own path. So, belong, you know, I felt like, Sarah, I felt like belonging is a central theme of Set Adrift, of your book and of your life. Is that something you still seek or have you found it a sense of belonging? It, yeah, you know, I think that when you have a big mother hole, you know, if, and, and probably a father hole too, but I think you have a big mother hole, you look for it, you look to fill that hole. And I do think that's one of the problems with sisters sometimes in that if you didn't get adequate mothering, it wasn't that Fran wasn't a lovely person. She was just still traumatized. Um, you pull, try to pull it from your sisters. And when that doesn't work, it blows everyone up. It, um, and I think they've moved, you know, the. I know Brené Brown has moved belonging up way up like on the top of Maslow's hierarchy now the that that there's a human need that is fundamental and one of the things that's really changed it for me is one having a, a, a spiritual community and two something my son the monk says which I think is very wise he says you are either feeding off the world like pulling things from the world or you're blessing the world and I think about that every morning and a number of times in the day, how many, you know, you know, am I trying to pull things into that hole or am I turning it around and, and with gratitude and seeing what I give? And um, yeah, it does. It's not, it, it was a big theme for me and it was a very painful for many, many years trying to fill that mother hole and um Took took some a lot of therapy and maybe a lot of spiritual um, practice. Mm. So, what are you working on next? I don't know. Well, I actually I'm at Shravasti Abbey, um, a monastery at uh, 
a lot of nuns and a few monks. And they give a lunchtime talk every day called BBC, the Bodhisattva's Breakfast Corner. Um, and I'm curating a book of their best talks over the last 20 years. Ah. And, yeah, and that's about all I have time for because we're in the middle of sort of building and there's that publicity piece that you know well. And um, and I don't know what's next. I really Isn't don't. Isn't there um, a National Geographic special happening? about? Oh, there's there's a History Channel special. And they that's have been it. Okay. Yeah. So it's an article I wrote for Tricycle Magazine called Lost at Sea about my parents and my family's disappearance and framing that in a Buddhist context. And um, and uh, the History Channel, it's their second most uh, popular series. They started last year called Into the Bermuda Triangle, The Cursed Waters. And um, they found me and they... They are trying, they're going to be trying to find my family's boat. They're going to do an hour episode on the, the downing of the Rebinoc. And um, they interviewed me a few weekends ago, uh, all day. And luckily, I was able to give them a lot of um, archival footage, just fabulous archival footage of the Rebinoc sailing, of the Rebinoc being lifted out of the water in New York Harbor in the middle of winter with my grandfather on the boat that looks like he looks like some sort of Spencer Tracy's evil twin, you know, and shipping the boat down to the, the very last Revenant down to the tropics. And um, so luckily they have a lot of footage to work with. They never get that. And, and I also, one of the films we found that these, these boxes of films really hadn't been opened up much because our old uh, projector would eat them. <laughs> so we didn't, hadn't taken them out. And I found um, a lot of footage of my father who looked like a lovely person that my, my sadness is that we couldn't find any of my mother, you know, but to see your parent moving, you know, to see their, their gestures and their posture and how they are with people was just amazing. Wow. What a story. It was a pleasure to talk to you about this your beautiful memoir and good luck with everything. Uh, all of us look forward to finding out if they find the Revenant. We'll we'll talk again. Thank you, yeah, so, thank much, you so much, Sarah. Fully. Thank you. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been speaking to Sarah Conover, author of Set Adrift, a mystery and memoir, my family's disappearance in the Bermuda Triangle. Hope you all have a juicy novel to cuddle up with today and always happy reading.